This is Leah Jones, Director of Financial Planning at Hightower Bethesda. Thanks for joining me today as I explore topics that I hope arm you with the ability to make smart financial decisions. Today's topic is current tax code changes and opportunities for tax planning. My guest today is Lou Rubelman from Mendelssohn and Mendelssohn, a local CPA firm. Lou has been doing tax planning since 1970, so he's got a lot of background and he works both with individuals and businesses. So let's start, Lou, with a topic on business owners' mind, PPP. So for 2020 and 2021, can you provide some general guidance about what is known today? Sure. An owner must spend 60% or more of a Paycheck Protection Program loan on qualified payrolls, including pay to the owner, and no more than 40% of that loan on other expenses, such as rent, mortgage interest, utilities, operations, property damage, supplier invoices, and worker protection to receive 100% forgiveness of that loan. If you spend less, the percentage of the forgiveness is reduced. For instance, say you obtained a 100% PPP loan and spent the entire $100,000 during the 24 weeks after the receipt of the loan, but you spent only 50 grand on payroll and $50,000 on other qualified expenses. Because you only spent $50,000 on payroll, you would qualify for a forgiveness of only $83,333 because PPP rules limit your loan forgiveness to that amount. It's 60% divided into the $50,000. Interesting. So, So the really key point for business owners to know is that they have to spend that loan at least 60% or more on qualified payroll in order to get in in order to be able to get the forgiveness on 100% of the loan. Is that correct? Absolutely right. That payroll number is absolutely key. It must be 60%. Right. I think that's that's a great point. And it's a little confusing because you know, obviously business owners are getting the money and just thinking, I got to plug the gaps where I got to plug the gaps, whether that's on the rent or mortgage or, you know, payroll or whatever. So really, really good point to make sure that business owners understand that. I mean, even if they don't spend uh, 60%, it's still a good deal. But if they... in order to get the 100% forgiveness, they, they do need to spend the 60% on payroll. Got it. Okay. Well, Lou, I talk always about optimization. So to optimize <laughs> the loan forgiveness, 60% or more on payroll business owners. All right. Perfect. So I know another a key topic of concern that people and business owners had 
was there was confusion. I mean, obviously this programs happened very quickly and they were trying to get executed. And so it was kind of like, let's figure out the details later and let's get the money in people's pocket. So there was confusion on the, you know, loan forgiveness, which we just already talked about that a little bit and how it actually, you know, works and how you maximize the uh, loan forgiveness. But then there was also confusion on, okay, well, how does that work from a tax perspective? If you are forgiven, are you taxed on the forgiveness? Can you use your deductions for um, items that you might have used the loan forgiveness for? And then if you can't use those deductions, are you going to then end up getting taxed on them? So you're going to get a tax bill at the end of the year when you already uh, short on money. And so um, this was a big concern and kind of left outstanding until just recently. So can you talk about some of the rulings that were recently made about that as it related to the loans? Sure. Under the uh, Congress has recently passed uh, the, a new law that addressed that directly. And under, under the new law, they made it crystal clear, and I mean crystal clear, that expenses reimbursed by the PPP loans are deductible for tax purposes. The IRS had previously made a ruling that they were not, but Congress has overruled them and said that they are deductible for tax purposes. And further, that the loan forgiveness is not taxable and will not go to reduce the basis that a taxpayer has in its entity. That's a, that's a key point as well, which I actually hadn't even thought of, which was, yeah, does it lower your cost basis? And so they actually clarified that in addition and said it would not lower the businesses. Correct. And these rules apply to all PPP loans made and received in both 2020 and 2021. Further, they ease the rules for uh, loans under $50,000 by providing a one-page submission for loans of that amount, although they, you still have to provide the documentation to your lender. You only have to provide a one-page submission to do so instead of a multi-page submission that required a lot of paperwork. Right, paperwork. and somebody like an advocate, a banker, or someone that could help you <laughs> fill it out because it was so confusing and uh, convoluted. So that's that's a huge benefit right there, just the one-page submission. Now, you mentioned some of these things that we're talking about apply in 2020 and 2021. And so one of the things that we had talked about, which I'm not even sure if business owners know this, um, but I want to make sure that they do, just like I know you as well. And that's that business owners actually have the ability to take a second PPP loan in 2021. So can you just talk a little bit about that and what it looks like? In order to qualify for a second PPP loan in 2021, a business owner must have already received a PPP loan in 2020. So that's the first criteria they must have 300 or fewer employees and be able to prove a 25% or greater decline in revenues from at least one quarter in 2020 when compared to the same quarter in 2019. And it must be a calendar quarter. Further, 
they must use the current 2021 PPP loan for 2021 expenses. So if you can do all that in 2021 and meet all that criteria, you can get a second PPP loan. Right. And it's interesting that the qualifiers are really based in the past. So it's pretty easy to quantify whether you make, make, make those criteria. You can take that loan in 2021, but it's based on a difference in your company's performance between 2020 and 2019. Yes. I thought that was, I thought that's interesting, right? Because uh, you, you would almost think conceptually, oh, well, maybe they have to prove that they're still financially burdened um, today, but there's not actually that burden of proof. It's really what happened in the past. It's all historical. I, I guess, would there be any implications? Let's just say they qualified based on that criteria, but 2021 is a good year for them. Is there any potential, you know, penalty or that the loan wouldn't be forgiven or something in that case? I, I can't foresee that because that's the whole purpose of these loans is to uh, get the economy moving again. Okay. Yeah. And bridge the gap. But we don't know. It could end up being, you know, more than that. The guidance could change. Correct. I mean, everything's a bit fluid right now. Right. <laughs> Everything is very fluid right now. You were 100% correct about that. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit away from PPP, but still on our business owners um, for tax planning. Can you talk to me a little bit about there's a really dramatic shift in a business owner's ability to deduct meals? Can you speak to that? Yes. The 2021 and 2022 meal deductions uh, increase to 100% of the meal cost. The meal must be provided in a restaurant or quiet setting. Congress really didn't define quiet, but it's pretty much uh, interpreted to mean a restaurant. Previously, a meal was not allowed if the meal was entertainment, entertainment oriented. The meal, the rules have not necessarily been loosened on purpose. The purpose still has to be a meeting that is business oriented and where business is discussed. Uh, However, it is presumed the reason why the requirement for the quiet setting is required is so that business can be discussed. That is also the reason why the prohibition, why you cannot do this during a golf outing or at a game or in that type of a setting. Interesting. However, if you have a meal at one of the restaurants at uh, at the stadiums that could conceivably be allowed if you discuss business <laughs> the finer points so right. <laughs> so you could be in a restaurant at a stadium talking in a quiet place and and I hope I just want to say for the record I hope that our restaurants end up not being quiet places because it's so sad <laughs> that they're so quiet right now and they, they need to be alive again and they will be soon. Um, but 
for purposes of the IRS, I understand what the, the intent of this, it seems like to me, is to encourage business owners to um, you know, go to restaurants and, ha- you know, and spend money and, uh, in- and incentivize them to do it, whereas that incentivization was not there previously. Um, but they don't want to just do a blanket, like any type of entertainment. So that's kind of where they're drawing the distinction between restaurants versus um, going to, you know, a stadium or a, a golf outing. Correct. And they want to get, they want to get business moving again, and they want people discussing uh, legitimate business at these meetings. So they're willing to encourage the spending on meals to do so. And just just to uh, highlight again, this is for 2021 and 2022 to our uh, topic earlier, could be maybe even extended past that, but it is in the rule book for 2021 and 2022. That's 100% uh, meal cost deduction if you know out at a restaurant um, and previously it was it was a lot smaller percent wasn't it what was yeah. it in the past well it could be zero up to 50 percent zero up to 50 okay so this is you know this is huge I want people to hear about this and and go out and have a lot of meals <laughs> when it's <laughs> safe to, when it's safe to do so okay so Anything else specific to business owners that they should know or be thinking about in regards to upcoming tax planning opportunities? Uh, yes. The new law also recently, uh, recently enacted allows businesses who took PPP loans in 2020 and 2021 to also take employee retention credits pending certain limitations. These credits are really too complicated and time consuming to get into in this discussion. Uh, But all business owners should ask their financial advisors about them as soon as possible. And these credits are really taken in connection with the company's payroll returns uh, as they're prepared. So they really are complicated and they really need to talk to their financial advisors about these things. But they're very worthwhile. Okay, so so the teaser topic here, talk to your financial advisors about the employee retention credits because they're way too complicated and very probably situational uh, dependent, but if it, if it is something that you can benefit from, make sure to, to bring it up with your advisors. And they're for people who have taken the PPP loans. Oh, okay, so the, just at one clarifier, the employee retention credits is only something that applies if you've taken the PPP loan. So that's the only situation where you would want to discuss it. Yes. Okay, all right. Good clarification. So uh, shifting gears here a little bit to just individuals. Tell me a little bit about what people should know, because I know I was shocked when, when we talked about it, regarding the stimulus checks that they received um, in 2020 and 2021, and, you know, ones that are potentially um, going to be coming in the future? Uh, current stimulus payments are $600 per person, $1,200 per married couple. If you did not receive a direct stimulus check in 2020 or 2021, you can apply for a credit on your 2020 return. If you make too much money, you may not be entitled to claim the credit. 
you can qualify in 2020 and not in 2021, depending on how much money you made in each year. There may be some surprises around that. You can claim these credits on your tax return if you did not receive the actual check, but you may not get the credit on your return if you make too much money. Currently, the phase out is 75,000 adjusted gross income for single people and $150,000 adjusted gross income for married filing jointly. The phase out is $5 for every $100 above that threshold. So it's a bit complicated. And when I say you could get a surprise, you could get a surprise. If you already received the money, you are not likely to have to pay it back. But if you didn't receive the money, you may not get it at all. Can you clarify that a little bit? <laughs> if, if you already received the checks, um, you're, it's unlikely that you'll have to pay it back. So here's, so here's a question, because I, I think this was a, the challenge in this scenario. The government was trying to get money out quickly to people that needed it, but the only way they really had to identify was based on prior tax returns, right? Um, at least in terms of the stimulus checks. Um, and so if they were looking at, it, it depended on what your most current um, tax filing was, uh, depending on the timing of these stimulus checks, they were done at different times. But they were either looking at like your 2018 tax filing or your 2019 tax filing to make a determination. And so if you made above, if you're a single person, you made above 75,000, you just didn't get a check. If you're were married filing jointly and you made above 150,000 on your 2018 or 2019 return you just didn't get a check okay so those people are you know kind of easy they didn't get a check now where it gets more complicated is you know this year or, or 2020 did they actually need the check because they were underneath this amount and so when they go to file their taxes this is where you were saying they might be able to apply for the credits to basically get the check that they never got because it was based on their you know, prior income in those years. Right. And there, there is a certain section of the, uh, the 2020 tax return where, they, where you can fill out to apply for this credit. Can you speak toward the changes in the charitable contributions allowance and how the use of charitable contributions can be a great tax planning opportunity? Prior to 2020, if you did not itemize deductions, charitable contributions were lost. But for 2020 and 2021, people using the standard deduction can now take a deduction for charitable contributions of up to $300 for single individuals and up to $600 for married individuals filing jointly. Another way to boost itemized deductions, particularly if you have itemized deductions equal to or close to the top amount of the standard deduction of $24,800 for a married couple filing jointly, is to try to shift some deductions that you would normally be making in a, in a year from one year forward or one year back to maximize the use of the standard and itemized deduction limit. 
say your normal itemized deductions for interest, real estate tax, and income taxes and charitable deductions of $5,000 a year total in the aggregate in a normal year, $22,000. And we'll call that year one. However, in year two, you expect to incur significant IVF out-of-pocket medical expenses that will exceed 7.5% of your adjusted gross income in year two by $25,000 because you're trying to get pregnant. Those expenses will put you over the standard deduction threshold in any year. Since both years, one and two, you would make normal charitable deductions of about $5,000 annually, you could delay making your charitable contributions in year one until January of year two, and then make your year two contributions in late December of year two, thereby get benefit of the maximum standard deduction of $24,800 in year one, because you're using a standard that year, and they get the full benefit of the itemized deductions of the contributions made in year two of $10,000 by shifting all those deductions to year two from year one and taking them. The standard deduction for 2020 is 12,400 for single filers, which is $200 higher than 19, 2019 and 24,800 for joint filers, which is $400 higher than 2019. So in this case, people should be thinking about their charitable contributions as a tax planning strategy because what you could really do is if, if your goal is to give 10,000 and you're going to give 5 and 5 in each year, really doesn't probably make any difference if you kind of lump them together in one year for tax planning purposes, you get a bigger credit, which might end up pushing you over the standard deduction and allow you to itemize more deductions. Correct. And if you, if you are expecting uh, substantial medical expenses that will exceed seven and a half percent of your adjusted gross income, particularly medical expenses that are not going to be reimbursed by insurance, then you should try to figure out how to use those to maximize uh, your tax deductions by stacking them in a particular year with other things that you can benefit from and maximizing on both sides your uh, standard deduction because it just makes sense to do that. Right. Well, I can tell you because I had a uh, a baby in 2020 that it's it's very expensive. So whether you have one or whether you're trying to have one, in all regards, it's it's an expensive endeavor. So um, I guess if if you can add to your planning around that to uh, do it in the calendar year, <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty tough, but. It's a good little nugget of, of knowledge to have there. Another kind of topic I know that, that uh, some people are, are dealing with, which is that if you know someone who used their retirement account for funds uh, for COVID relief, what should they know about that from a tax perspective? Well, individuals who made retirement account withdrawals 
because of being temporarily out of work or from being ill with COVID or due to taking care of relatives with COVID-related illnesses are, are really just about anything they can reasonably justify, have three years to repay the money withdrawn from the retirement plan without penalty. Based on plan guidance, the plan trustee will need to issue something to be determined to indicate that the distribution was repaid within the three-year period. If the distribution is not repaid, the withdrawal is taxed at ordinary income tax rates, but it is not subject to the 10% early withdrawal penalty if the penalty would otherwise apply. Okay, interesting. So a couple points I want to highlight here. So one is if you did take money from the retirement account at the end of the year, your custodian is going to issue a statement saying that you took the funds. So it's going to be on you to make sure you communicate with your CPA and say, hey, if this is the case, I intend to pay this back in three years so that they will know what to mark on the tax return so that you're not paying taxes on it. Is that correct? Yes. And the payment can really be made in the third year. So so then the the individual and the CPA then need to kind of keep track of that? Yes, they do. <laughs> right. Okay. Because if they don't keep track of it, and so here's an interesting question. If you say you're going to pay it back and the three years pass and you haven't paid it back, you mentioned that you can avoid the 10% penalty, which that's huge just even on its own because otherwise you know normally you you wouldn't be able to but um what what kind of happens i guess to reconcile that that tax payment is due now because you didn't pay it back in the three years well you know they really haven't said how that's going to be handled but there will i'm sure the irs will have some way of tracking that guidance yeah i I would imagine they're gonna they're gonna require uh the custodians to show some type of um, reporting right. that the funds were, um, you know, put placed back into the retirement account. Right. The, the, there will be some kind of uh, reporting placed upon the custodian to that they will have to say that they did not receive the funds back. Well, last but not least, Lou, um, can you talk a little bit about the changes to the education? deductions and credits and tax planning opportunities for kids? Sure. There have been some changes to the education deduction credits. The deduction for tuition expenses expired in 2019 and was not renewed in 2020. Uh, previously, this these deductions were reported on Form 8917. However, there has been an expansion of the income limits on the lifetime learning credits to match the American Opportunity Credit. And people who have kids in college are familiar with these things. Uh, The income phase out for the lifetime learning credit will now start at 80 grand uh, for single uh, filers and $160,000 for uh, married filing jointly filers. This is an increase of 21,000 for single people and 42,000 for married filing jointly uh, taxpayers. 
So basically some, some people might be eligible for these credits that weren't in the past? Correct. Okay. Well, yes. However, if a parent has a business and can hire a child who is in college or school to do legitimate work for the business and the business can pay the child a reasonable wage, the shift in earned income can be great for both the child and the parent. A parent may be able to shift income from his or her higher tax bracket to the child's lower one, and the child may be able to take advantage of some of these college tax credits if in college that could be lost by the parent if the parent is in a high tax bracket so long as the child has earned income. Earned income is very important in being able to establish the use of these, the American, the both the American Opportunity Credit and these, this lifetime learning credit, particularly. And these credits are eliminated pretty quickly for high earners, particularly uh, for the parent. Uh, and kids generally, as long as the, the child has earned income, they are generally able to utilize these credits. Now, is there is there any amount, like is there a dollar amount of earned income that they have to have? Is there any um, guidance on that? Well, they have to have over the standard deduction. So, I, I mean, they have to have more than the standard deduction. So that's, that's like 12,000 for an individual? Yeah. All right, Lou. Well, thank you so much for your insight and for your timely ideas. And um, I'm, I'm sure you shared some things that people weren't aware of. And that's really the goal of this podcast is to help people to make smart financial decisions. So uh, thanks again for your time and insight and always be planning, even if it's uh, tax items, you got to think about everything. All right. Thank you. Hightower Bethesda is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Bethesda and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Bethesda and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC 
or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.